The Old Testament reading comes from the book of Isaiah, the 55th chapter. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall be, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle reading is from the epistle of Romans, the eighth chapter. So then, brothers. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia, alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the, 19th, the 13th chapter. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom of of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I wonder how many of you think back to when you were eight or nine years old, sitting in church. How many of you remember a sermon from those days? A specific sermon? Well, Pastor Otto, he was a retired pastor who came to preach at our little mission congregation in southern Missouri. <clears throat> and he preached on our gospel text for today, Parable of the Sower. And I remember, that's the only sermon I remember from those days, but I remember leaving there um, terrified, just absolutely terrified. I was, wow, I'm, I may not be the path, I may not be the rocky soil, but I'm sure I got a whole bunch of weeds growing in me. And I knew the only option was to be the good soil. And so, when we read this parable today, and we take Christ's word seriously, we have to ask, the question comes naturally, what kind of soil is in my heart? Do I have a heart in which God's word can grow and multiply? Or do I have a hard, rocky, thorny soil which, in the end, won't produce anything? Now, Jesus told this parable at the height of his popularity. <clears throat> Crowds were coming. It says uh, in, in the first verse, we read how Jesus left the house and went out to sit beside the, the lake, the Lake Galilee, and great crowds gathered. Now, we don't know how big these crowds were, but in the very next chapter, where Jesus fed the multitude with five loaves and three fish, we know that there were over 5,000, there was 5,000 men besides women and children. So whether this crowd was larger or not, evidently Matthew couldn't count them all, but it was huge. All this to say that Jesus was popular and people were traveling from near and far to hear him. This wasn't during the, the time of his persecution toward the end of his life. This was at the height. And today it would be like a stadium that's packed full of people waiting to hear what the preacher, the speaker, or the candidate's going to say. But Jesus, instead of congratulating the crowd for coming all the distance they did, instead of flattering them for their earnestness, tells them a story which is anything but happy-go-lucky and lighthearted. And people can sometimes read this parable and think, what a nice pastoral setting. You know, the, the, 
the man with the bag of seed and he's just strolling through the fields, throwing out seed and some falls in the right spot and some falls in the wrong spot. But what a peaceful setting. But that's really not quite the way it is. Jesus knows the words he spoke are not going to find reception in everyone, even among the crowds that came to hear him. Maybe not even in many. What Jesus does is give us a clear picture of what happens to the Word of God when it encounters sinful human beings. The Word of God is not bad seed. It's good seed. The very best. But it doesn't grow in unresponsive, unreceptive hearts. I planted beans in April. And ten days later, I went out there and nothing popped up. So I did a little investigation, dug down, and all my beans were rotten. I'm like, I must have got a bad batch of beans. And I read a couple weeks ago that you can't plant beans until the soil is 60 degrees or warmer, or they'll rot. So the beans were good, but the soil wasn't ready for them. In six short verses, Jesus describes what everyone who heard him knew about sowing seed. Hand sowing means some will inevitably drop on the path you're walking on. That's the first kind of soil. The sower doesn't walk in the furrows he's made, but on the path. And the path has a purpose, but it's not to grow things, it's to walk on. So of course the seed just lays on the hard path. It won't even sprout. And it becomes food for the birds. And in his explanation, Jesus says, the path is the, the hard heart that doesn't understand God's word. And because this person doesn't understand the gospel, it doesn't remain. Much like when Paul said in Corinthians, he said, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And so, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. But it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Foolishness because... Why would you worship someone who died on a cross? That's not victory, that's defeat. That's how they think. And so if something seems foolish, it's not valued. You don't memorize it. You don't treasure it up in your heart. You forget about it. And that's what happens on the hardened path. The hardened path is for going places. There are even paved paths as well. They're great for going places and Oftentimes they look nice. They're almost like streets. And some, sometimes they have names. And you have to know the names of these paths and streets if you want to get somewhere. Washington Road is great for shopping, for going to church, and any number of things. It has a purpose. And no one's going to blame Washington Road for not being a field. It's made to be hard. But what is an advantage in one area is a hindrance in another. A person who is well-known and well-connected, always at the center of things, could be in danger of becoming a well-worn path, which can't provide a place for seed to grow. 
the famous, the influencers, the powerful, the prestigious look like they've made it, but in fact, they may be barren paths. They're infinitely poorer than a nameless vegetable plot that's producing food. But it isn't only the rich and famous in danger of becoming a hardened path. We sometimes fit into this picture too. The birds don't just fly over the highways. They fly over the forest paths, the garden paths, everywhere. Life isn't just busy for Elon Musk. It can get hectic for us as well. Feed the dogs, feed the kids, go to work, fix this, clean that, plan for the future, or maybe just preoccupy, preoccupy ourselves with amusements and distractions, and the seed just doesn't sink in. Who doesn't struggle to set aside 15 minutes a day to read the Word of God? And sometimes when we, I've had this experience where I'll, I'll read a chapter of the Bible and I'll, I'll read it from start, verse 1, to the last verse. And I'll, I'll, I'll be at the last verse and I'm like, what did I just read? My mind was on something else. Some distraction. After reading that chapter, you realize you didn't really take anything in. And you know what that is? Those are the birds at work. They're taking away that word as soon as you read it. Martin Luther famously said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. We learn in catechism class that reading God's word is more than reading God's word. And it was pretty neat to see in our, I think it was our colic today, where it talked about read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. It's to meditate on it, to listen to it, let it work in our hearts. But that's not, it doesn't come naturally. It's not easy when we're so used to getting everything immediately. Instant gratification, you know. Instant food, instant entertainment. Reading and meditating on God's Word sometimes brings instant joy, but more often than not, it doesn't. It's a discipline, but it does bear fruit, fruit that lasts. Probably one of the craftiest, meanest birds out there is the one that has distractor tattooed across its forehead. We have two young puppies. And when they get into things they're not supposed to, which is quite often, it doesn't take much to distract them into something else and they're out of trouble. Well, there's an evil bird that aims to distract us just when we get into something beneficial like the Word of God. And so we need to recognize these distractions. Call them out for what they are. Like Paul says, take every thought captive. Don't just say, oh, it's no use. Say, no, I know what you're doing, Satan. Luther, Luther understood this when he was translating the Bible. Recognize these distractors, this busyness, the shallowness of life, and, and just turn back to our Lord's words. The second kind of soil is also not really a soil, per se, 
But a place where the seed falls, it's rocky. Growing up where I grew up in southern Missouri, you had soil, and about two inches underneath that soil was bedrock. And so after a good rain, you'd see things green up. But after a few days of heat, everything would wither and die. At first, this type of soil at least seems better than the hardened path. At least the seed sprouts, and it sprouts quickly since that shallow soil warms up fast. But the sprout doesn't last. It cannot last in such a place. It's impossible. Now, we could compare this to someone who hears a message and they're moved by it. They're excited. The word actually does germinate and sprout. And in their excitement, they seem to make a radical change from what they once were. They even tell others about it. And it seems genuine. And all, everything's going along, full speed, until one day, they're not in worship any longer. They don't want to talk about God anymore. They're no longer excited about once they want, what they once were. And that's the issue. What were they excited about in the first place? Was it a, a silver-tongued preacher? Was it a feeling of peace? Was it having felt accepted? Was it a turn of events in life that seemed to say, hey, God's on my side? All those are fine and good, but faith must go to the cross of Christ. And there, see what it costs the Son of God to save us from our sin. If faith is not rooted in Christ's sacrifice for us and His resurrection, it may be nothing more than a feeling or an intellectual agreement. And so for whatever reason, this heart prevents the seed from growing roots. And that happens when faith is not in Christ, but a particular political party, a, a great preacher, the traditions we are apt to feel comfortable with and love, maybe in religion. But these are not Christ. These did not sacrifice themselves for you and I. We have to keep that in mind. This type of heart may be more common than we think or care to admit. It's the kind of heart that follows Jesus as long as He's doling out bread and giving people fish. As long as He makes life better, in whatever way I define better. Maybe he gets me into that school, gets me that job, that promotion, gets me that girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't have to make any sacrifices or changes, and Jesus becomes more of a populist politician where people follow him as long as he does, says, and does what they like. What kind of God is that? God of our own making. Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. To our mothers out there, is giving birth a fun thing? Is it easy? I, I don't think so. I, I've witnessed it on four occasions and it was painful. And so if physical birth is painful, spiritual birth is painful too. 
the rebirth Jesus spoke about is more than some knowledge of God's Word and becoming religious. It's acceptance of the Gospel by faith. It's, it's saying, Lord, I am a lost and condemned sinner. Save me. All outwardly religious forms mean nothing without repentance and rebirth. The third soil Jesus speaks of is actually soil which germinates the seed, and the seed grows. The problem is there's competition, and that little seedling quickly gets overrun by the thorny weeds, making it unfruitful. Matthew calls these thorny weeds the, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, who doesn't care about things from time to time? Cares or worries are a part of life. They're about things that are out of our control. Maybe it's being anxious for a job interview. It might be more serious. It might be, how am I going to make ends meet with this persistent inflation? My loved one seems lost to the drug epidemic. If we didn't care about these things, what would that say about us? We'd be pretty cold-hearted. And yet these worries can sometimes seem larger and more important than Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. I don't think Jesus is speaking of concern here. If we are someone we know has needs, we ought to be concerned. Paul the Apostle said on many occasions, I've been concerned for you. But he didn't stay up all night chewing his fingernails. He prayed for them. He took it to the one who cared about these churches more than even Paul did. The thorny weed of worry also encompasses the worries of our times. In the 1930s and 40s, it was the worry of another world war. And then less than a decade later, it was the, the worry and anxiety and fear of communism. In the 70s, it was the worry and fear of nuclear holocaust. And today, for some, it's the worry and fear of a, a nation getting too hot or upheaval in our culture or the politics of the day. And these loud, clamoring worries tend to drown out and snuff out the Word of God. Because, you know, even if the world cooled by several degrees, we had the right leaders in every position in our government, and our culture went back to the good old days, we'd still be lost in sin and find other things to worry about. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And so worries in this life can become more than distractions from the promises God made to us. They can actually seem to be more important and more real than God's promises. What's the worst thing that could happen to us? We die? We suffer? No. Losing out on eternal life. And so if God has gifted that to us already, then there's nothing that can separate us from His love. <clears throat> so these weeds are not more important than the gospel. They're not more important than God's promises to us. In the soil of our own hearts, these weeds need to be yanked up, roots and all. 
Now next week we'll read a story about weeds that Jesus said don't yank them up. But these weeds need to be, be yanked up. They need the garden hoe. The deceitfulness of riches is the other thorny weed that smothers the seed. But what is the deceitfulness of riches? Paul said to Timothy, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The deceitfulness is ri in, of riches is in that promise of contentment and happiness and maybe a few other things. But at what cost? I read a story a few years back about a man who gave his all to climb the ladder of success and in the end he looked back and regretted not caring for those God had given him. And he admitted he'd been deceived. Finally, we have the last soil. Jesus calls this the good soil. It does what the other soils cannot do. It accepts the seed. The seed grows and bears fruit. It's like the hardened path. Seed falls on both. But it's not like the hard path because instead of the seed sitting on top, the seed goes into the soil. It's like the rocky soil. Just like the good soil, or the rocky soil, the seed germinates. It sprouts. But unlike the rocky soil, the good soil allows the roots to go deep. And it's like the thorny weed soil, too. The good soil germinates, and the, the seed becomes a seedling and starts to grow. But unlike the former soil, there's no competition for sun, water, and the seedling matures. Well, God, we know, is the sower. He's the ultimate sower of His Word. As any sower of seed, any farmer for that matter, why do they sow seed? The goal is a harvest. It's no different here. As those redeemed by Christ, we also want a harvest in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We don't want to be hard-hearted and have His Word go in one ear and out the other. We don't want excitement and emotion for a moment and then it's gone. We desire salvation and true knowledge of God. And we don't want to be hamstrung by worries over things we can't control. Riches, on the other hand, now, we don't want to be deceived by them either. If we have enough, like Paul, we can be content. I'm sure the disciples wanted to follow Jesus more closely too. And they wanted to know Him more dearly. And yet they struggled to stay awake for one hour. So Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, we may be willing to be good soil for the Lord's work to grow in, for the Lord's Word to grow in, but the flesh is weak. How do we make ourselves good soil? I mean, if we recognize that we're hard soil or rocky soil or thorny soil, how do we make ourselves good soil? I'm not sure much can grow around here except pine trees in this clay soil. In fact, my son Jonathan and I had to haul 
several loads of dirt in just to grow a garden. Is that what we need to do? Do we need to exchange the, the rocky, hard, thorny soil of our hearts for the good soil? Sign me up. Who's selling? Actually, the good soil Jesus speaks about, it's not for sale. You can't buy it. But we can go back to our Old Testament reading from Isaiah where he says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The good soil cannot be bought, but it can be made. You know, my beans went into the soil and they rotted. They didn't change the soil, but the seed of God's Word is different. It actually has the power to change the soil of our heart. What we are powerless to do, God's Word can do. It's a means of grace. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The power, the dynamite of God. His word is powerful and accomplishes in us what he desires. Yes, sometimes his word will make us uncomfortable. It will reveal things about ourselves we'd rather not admit, rather not see. It calls us to faith in his forgiveness and daily repentance. But that is the gracious working of his word on the soil of our heart, to make it good soil, to make it a harvest. God's destroyer desire is not to destroy us, but to save us and bring a harvest within us. It all starts with the soil. The harvest doesn't come immediately. In fact, Jesus is speaking of the final harvest when he tells us these things. He tells them, to us now so that we won't enter the final harvest with nothing more than a, a thorn bush by our side but with a basketful. The daily habits of Jesus, the disciples and Christians throughout history show us the great value of setting aside uninterrupted time for God's word to be sown and work in our hearts. Let us pray. Lord, you alone are the giver of life and our sure and certain hope. May your word work in our hearts and bring about a harvest of love for you and for our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>